Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Irvine in California, that's in Orange County. A place that a lot of people just pass by on the 405 and don't realize how cool it is. One of the original master planned communities, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. But until then, you want to get to me? That's easy. Call me at 888-887-3837. I almost gave my home phone number out there. Uh, 888-88-PETER, of course. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. Boy, what a tough time to be in the world. What a tough time to try to travel in the world. Uh, What a very difficult time to deal with the worst four-letter word that starts with F when it comes to travel in the world, otherwise known as fear. Turkey, Orlando, Baton Rouge, Nice, Dallas. Um, The war has come home in that respect. But should that stop us from traveling? Now, the cavalier flip answer would be, of course not. And, of course, I'm going to give you a qualified, of course not, because everything has to be tempered with common sense, your own level of awareness, your own immersion in the facts, and your own uh, escape from fear and rumor and, uh, and just the actual reality of the numbers that we're talking about. You know, when you think about what's going on out there, um, everything, of course, is a soft target. Um, a soft target could be you know, the main walk along the beach in Nice where people were just celebrating Bastille Day with fireworks. And one lone wolf driving a, a huge truck travels the unheard of distance of five-eighths of a mile. Think about that. And mows down 84 people. Is that going to stop you from going to Nice? I hope not. Um, because if that's the case, you shouldn't leave your own home in San Bernardino, speaking of San Bernardino, or Cleveland, or anywhere else. The bottom line is we live in a predictably unpredictable world, and if we allow ourselves to be motivated by fear, then we'll only act on that fear. And at that point, in that, in that situation, we have a problem. Uh, it's a problem that will continue. And it's a problem that's only going to get worse if we let it. Let me give you an example. We have a situation where we had the uh, uh, the bombing at the airport in Istanbul. And what did they do? Well, they chose a vulnerable place. And the vulnerable place that they chose was not the departure area, which is what the terrorists did in Belgium, in Brussels. They chose the arrivals area. And where people... You know, aren't checked by security people at all. They're, they're supposedly just leaving the airport. But you know what the guys in Istanbul did? They did something smart. They kept the airport open. They wanted to send a message to the world that they were not going to be beaten up and closed by the terrorists. And that airport is operating today. The only time the airport closed briefly was when they had their other upheaval in Turkey, which is the attempted coup by the army. And that only closed the airport for a brief period of time. The FAA banned flights from the U.S. to Turkey for a brief period of time. And everything is now back on track. 
Here is the real bottom line. Whether it's Turkey or Orlando or Baton Rouge or Nice or Dallas, the odds are still overwhelmingly in your favor. Unless you want to be an agoraphobic traveler, which means you're never going to leave your home, you know what? Then you succumb to the wishes of that small percentage of diehard terrorists that want you to change your life and your way of life and your freedoms and your options. Remember, the true definition of great travel is when you get to keep your options. And I'm one of those people that will fight, fight, fight to keep those options. So if you're thinking of going somewhere that you may think is a target area, nobody ever thought that Nice was a target area until it was targeted by one guy. Is that going to stop you from going to the south of France? If it does, you and I have to have some serious discussions because you're making a mistake. Now, remember, there's a great deal of difference between a State Department advisory, a State Department bulletin, a State Department warning, and a State Department ban. And a State Department advisory has a negative connotation, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't go. It just means you should be advised that if you are going, here's what you need to know. That's all it means. So please, do your homework. Realize, and I've talked about this on this show so many times, but I'm going to say it again. In my experience, there are only the only places I won't go are the places where no one's in control, where no one's in control. That would be parts of Chechnya, parts of the Congo, certainly Syria, and parts of Baghdad and Afghanistan. Okay, now I've just run out of places I won't go. What does that tell you? Don't deny yourself, because in the process, you're denying a process. That's right. In the process, you're denying a process, a process of travel that only creates understanding, it tears down barriers, it builds bridges, and no, I'm not about to break into a rendition of Kumbaya, but you get the point. And that point is, you have a triple whammy right now. You have fear keeping people home. You have economic issues keeping Europeans home and other countries like South Africa and Argentina where, the, where their currencies are depressed against the U.S. dollar. And then you have an election year in the United States, which, by the way, every four years, Americans don't tend to travel as much during a national election year because of those uncertainties. So if you're smart, guess what you get to do? Take advantage of all three of those and travel. When was the last time you heard of discounts during the high summer period in Europe? Well, we've got them now. We've got them in, in, in South America. We've got them in South Africa. We've got them throughout Europe, not just London, which saw a 30% drop in the value of the pound against the U.S. dollar. You have all of these things operating in your favor, and you have one more thing operating in your favor, which you do not want to understate, your own sense of common sense. That's what you need to pack. And then immerse yourself in the neighborhoods. Stop worrying about crowded locations. Everything is a crowded location. They're all soft targets. You're a soft target, but don't be a stupid target. Do your homework. Read up. Understand there are places in every city, in every state, in every country in the world you shouldn't go. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go to those countries. You just shouldn't go to those places. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
My next guest, great story to tell, and a rather unusual museum in the process. His name, we'll figure this out in a second, James Irvine Swindon. He's the president of the Irvine Museum. Sir, thanks for coming by. Pleasure to be here. Now explain the name. The name comes from my great-grandfather, James Irvine, who actually came in in 1863 and bought the Irvine Ranch, which our property considered there. Which is where we're sitting on right now. Which you're sitting on now. You've seen a lot of change. Tremendous amount of change. And our family's been involved with the change. Yes, because it's the one area where the family still retains a lot of interest and control. Well, even though we no longer own the property itself, we still have a lot of influence and the um, development and parts of the um, that you see around you were actually were implemented by the, um, particularly my mother, Joan Irvine-Smith, who was involved in the master plan of the city of Irvine and the university. You know, what's interesting to me about the museum is, you know, you go back to the days of the, of the ranch, if you will, uh, you're very specifically focused on the kind of stuff you have at this museum. It's not just like this eclectic collection. You're really focused, what, on, on Impressionism? Well, we've focus on what is known as California Impressionism, which by That could mean a lot of things now. <laughs> it could be, but um, it actually, in our view, it means um, painting that was painted in California between 1895 and 1930. And, and, and you've kept those, those dates? We've kept those dates. We realized very early on that we were a small regional museum. In order to be successful at what we do, we wanted to focus on a particular part of art. You wanted to specialize? A absolutely. All right, so let's talk about that art. I mean, what was painted between 1895 and 1930? Predominantly what you're seeing when you come to our museum, you'll see paintings of um, early California that... Um, the Wild Wild West? Not so much the Wild Wild West. It's more, from our perspective, it's an, the environmental beauty of California and before the development took place. Well, that's the other interesting thing about the museum because your focus really is the environment. Well, we focused on two aspects of the museum. The first is we consider these artists to be great artists in their own right. But we also use the art to talk about environmental issues and the stewardship that we all have of our natural resources. You know, recently I was in Venice, and I was, I was surprised. Um, and then, of course, the more you think about it, the more I shouldn't have been surprised. But, you know, which artists came through Venice at a certain time, right? So I'm in, I'm in one room of the Europa Regina Hotel in, in Venice, and that's where Monet hung out. And he actually painted from that room. I'm sure you have your collection of interesting American painters who at one point or another were here. Well, it's, the interesting part is that the vast majority of our painters actually came from someplace else and ended up dying here. Well, that, that, welcome yeah. to California. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, not too many natives. Well, there's only a couple, and the one that comes to mind, the most famous is Guy Rose, and he's significant from the standpoint he's the local boy who made good. He ends up going to Paris. He is admitted into the salon, which was almost unheard of for an American to be and um, was highly successful and is probably the, the most significant of the Impressionist painters. We're talking with James Irvine Swinton, the president of the Irvine Museum. You know, I go back to when I was a correspondent for Newsweek. I was based in Los Angeles. We were west of the Hudson. And the New York art scene, the New York culturati, basically said there was nothing west of the Hudson. They, they didn't pay any attention to California. They thought we were all in a hot tub with Goldie Hawn. They didn't think there was any art here. Well, the amazing thing about that particular statement is that the artists in California were far more progressive, particularly in relationship to women, than the East Coast was. And so we have a large number of women who came to California early on with the men 
and were equally accepted versus the East Coast um, establishment where there was an old boy system and women were pretty much excluded from the art scene. Right, but were they, were they taken seriously at the time? It was, it's interesting because um, um, that's a yes and a no. Um, they had the problem, the ginger problem, because if they actually signed their first name on a painting, they would not be taken seriously. So most of them used their first initials. Um, however, as an example, Anna Hills was one of the founders of the Laguna Art Association, which is now the Laguna Art Museum. And on two separate occasions, she was president of the art museum in the early 1900s, and that never, never would have happened on the East Coast. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Uh, you know, every time I get a chance, no matter where we're broadcasting from, I always want to talk to one particular person. And the reason why I want to talk to that one particular person is They've been everywhere in that location. They know the hotels, the restaurants, the homes, the, the, the lay of the land, because they've been there. And my next guest is no exception to that. He's the division fire chief for Orange County, Greg McEwen. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? We're t when we talk about Irvine, we're talking about one big chunk of land, aren't we? Yeah, a population of 250,000 um, residents, so it's a big city. But in terms of landmass. Many, many square miles, yeah, and all of it's covered by Orange County Fire Authority and uh, a lot of the surrounding cities as well. So, And, you know, here we are in California, which does have a drought. Water is precious. I mean, you may be close to the ocean, but that doesn't help you if there's, if there's not enough rain. No, fire, se fire season is year-round in, in California, especially Southern California. We haven't had a lot of rain. And even when we do get rain, the green you see, there's dead vegetation underneath it. So it's all starting to turn now, but, um, yeah, it's going to be a rough fire season for sure. What can people do about that? Is there anything other than not watering their lawns, which actually contributes to it later on? Well, there's, there's a lot of things. Um, when we have uh, high fire danger days, um, folks uh, be very careful when they're in and about the wildland areas. If your home is near the wildland areas or the open space, um, to have a lot of clearance around your home. So if we do get a brush fire, your home's more protected. See, now I have a house on the East Coast, but we're just as concerned about fire as you are here. And in my house, I don't have a swimming pool, but I'm on the water, I'm on a bay. So I can actually draft from the bay with a generator because I can't depend on normal water pressure to help me in a situation like that, right? The good thing about Southern California, especially in Irvine, we have excellent water pressure. We have an excellent water system. and Because um, it was planned. It is, yes, sir. And if we do get a large fire, we do have water tenders that we can bring in from around the county to help supplement, especially if we're off the road uh, a mile or so, we can bring water to ourselves. What's your biggest challenge? For firefighting yeah. or for overall public safety? Give me both. So for firefighting, obviously, uh, I would say that, um, you know, working smoke alarms in people's homes. Um, I can tell you that's a safety message that we will okay, I gotta ask this push question. till I, the end of the day. And as you know, I'm a, another firefighter, but I want to hear it from you. Hardwired or battery? Uh, we are now, actually, Orange County Fire Authority is now providing smoke alarms to the community for free through a grant. And they are 10-year battery, 10-year um, battery. Uh, internal battery that is self-contained self yeah so you don't have to change the batteries it lasts theoretically for 10 years and then you throw it out and get another one yeah wow so it's, I, it's I wish fantastic. more departments would do that it's it's a great it's a great opportunity to reach out to the community and help Edu them and educate them and educate them yeah. yeah and your biggest challenge in terms of just public safety 
So I would say here for this summer moving forward, our biggest challenge is drowning prevention, believe it or not. Um, obviously, I'm not obviously, but I would say for sure that wildfire is definitely a danger. Structure fires are a danger. Um, but for us, um, last year we had 10 drownings in the city of Irvine. It was the second highest in the county and of all the cities in the county. And How many of those dangerous. are alcohol related? I don't know how many are alcohol related, but I can tell you that our target age or our highest um, highest uh, age or the highest propensity for drownings is kids zero to four and adults over uh, adults over the age of 55 you know in our department back in new york you know when we get our our, our our water rescue calls one in the morning someone decides they drink and they want to go swimming and there's a riptide oh my we just got a new machine i got to tell you about this machine it's called emma you know about emma Mm-mm. it is 800 feet that you you actually shoot it like a gun and you can target the victim in the water. So not you're not swimming out to him. You can actually wade into the water with it. And you have one other guy helping you, and you fire the trigger, and you can target where they are, and it basically throws essentially a hose, an inflatable hose, to them, and you pull them back in. So that's for, like, static water then? Exactly, yeah. For us, it's pools, and um, for children, it's for children, that age group, that targeted age group, it's parents not paying attention around the kids. The kids around the pool and slip under and... It happens very quickly. We've already had three drownings this year, wow. or near drownings. And um, for adults, it's swimming alone. You know, the adult goes in the water any time of the day. They're by themselves. They have a some sort of medical event, and they go into the water, and they pass away. So it's it's um, it's swimming alone and people watching their kids around the pool. All right. So before we run out of time, because I want to get back and talk to you about this. You know, when I say fire guys know everything, you guys know where to go eat. You, you do. This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. When we last left off, I was about to embarrass him by having him give us his secrets, the secrets of where they like to hang out and eat. Because you guys know, look, you know where the restaurants are. You know, but I'm looking for the stuff that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook. Where do you go for breakfast? So I eat breakfast at home. And I don't want to let you down. Um, <laughs> so our, we're all coming to your let, house. Let me speak for our folks in the firehouses first, yeah. and then I'll speak because I'm actually in a staff position. I work every day. Our folks in the firehouse, they tend to eat together, and they tend to eat together in the station because. They're able to. Oh, they go shop. They, they go, go shopping shop, together. They cook, and they eat their meals in the station. That way, if they should get a call, they're not carrying hot food with them on the rig, where it's not always the cleanest. And when they get back to the station, it's right where they left it. So, right. they prefer to eat inside the firehouse so they can pretty much get, um, if they can, unobstructed and un, un uh, you know, uh, without getting interrupted, trying right. to get their meals in. So for them, I know they just shop at the local grocery store, and we have some great cooks. For myself. Um, I try to bring lunch. Believe it or not, I told I was uh, <laughs> talking to someone the other day. But for me, it's not about so much eating where we eat. It's more about the company that I'm with and the ability to kind of game plan, strategize, and just network with folks. Um, I'm up for anything. So whether it's barbecue or Mexican food, um, I, I really don't care. It's more for me about the company. Now, by the way, this is radio. You and I are both big guys. I can see you're up for anything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but is there one place, if somebody's visiting you from outside of Irvine, 
Where do you take them out for dinner? That that is your special private cool little place. Um, I really I don't want to. I I really can't tell you any specific name brand place because there really isn't. Um, we really just lo- do a lot of cooking at home and and. Um, all right, so we're all coming over to your yeah, house. You come on over. All right, so now let's shift gears and I want to talk about hotels. Okay. Um, you know we all remember we studied it the MGM Grand Fire in Nevada back in 1981. That really was the turning point, wasn't it, in terms of hotel fire safety? You know, especially for us in Orange County and especially in Irvine, because we have a lot of hotels, um, the, the the good thing about the city of Irvine, it's a safe city. It's one of the safest cities in America. And we have very good fire protection systems within all of our high-rise here. So we're able to get our crews on scene initially and go right into the fire control room and get a very good idea of what's going on. And the fire control, for people who don't know, is... Every hotel has got an enunciator panel. Mm-hmm. You know exactly where the fire is. You know exactly, in some cases, what the fire is. And you can get people to it pretty quickly. Exactly. And, and one thing we benefit from is 24-hour um, contacts, our maintenance folks. And even outside the high-rise, outside the hotels, the high-rise in this general area, there's usually someone there 24 hours a day that can help us when we get there. That can be the eyes and ears for us as soon as we get on scene to let us know what's going on. Right. So... And by, and by the way, it's not just fires you guys call in. You had the window washers, didn't you? We did. Just across the freeway here, one of our high-rises, um, we had the window washers get stuck. I think it was about 12 floors up. And um, Now, I'm one of those guys. You can get mad at me if you want. I'm saying, you know, every fire department is challenged above the seventh floor. I mean, because you can't get up there. you gotta, you got to go a different way. Your hook and ladder doesn't go above the fourth. Right. So... What'd you do? These guys are up there 12 stories. So we have, um, here in the city, we have some of our highly trained um, firefighters that are training rescue. They're on the FEMA team. They're with the uh, FEMA incident management team, or no, our FEMA task force. And these are some of the folks that went to Oklahoma City bombing and to um, to 9-11. So these folks are still around today. You did it from the roof, didn't we you? We went to the roof and worked from the top down. So what you, you lowered them down from the roof, but you started from the roof. Actually, the plan was to lower, to try and lower them down. And what we were able to do after working with um, some bu- on-site building maintenance folks and through our folks, they were able to strategize to actually get that thing and manually pull it up. We did lower you our winched fire. Them, you winched them up. We did. We were able to get them up to the top and safely get them off. We were prepared to go over the side if we needed to, but we didn't have to. How long did it take you? We were there for about an hour and a half. I thought it would have been longer. That was pretty good. No, and it wasn't a hot day, so it was uh, for, for those guys. It was good because they were on the outside of this building in the sun, and um, you know the sun can take a beat, uh, take a toll on you when you're that long. And your response time on a medevac? So, um, so we do have four helicopters here for Orange County Fire Authority. So we do respond um, for rescues off the road in the in the wildland areas, um, folks getting injured. We will respond, and we actually have a hoist that we can hoist them out. We don't do the actual air ambulance. That's a separate company. It's a private company right. in the county. But you got to, you get to stabilize them. We do. We'll go out and stabilize them, especially if they've crashed their bikes, crashed their motorcycles, or if they are just out hiking and become dehydrated and heat stroke. We'll go out there and we'll find them with our law partners and we'll uh, work to get them out. But that window washer must have been the challenge for you. It was. It was a, we call it a uh, high risk, low frequency call. We something we train for. I've had um, dates like that. <laughs> Well, it, those are the ones that get that that can be very, very, very dangerous outside the normal danger that the firefighters see. So yeah, they they trained for it, and we were able to get our best up to the roof, and they did a great job. And the lessons learned on that one? Um, take your time. They were stable. We didn't need to rush because they weren't they weren't going, going they weren't going to fall. Yeah. It was stable. It was just stuck. So recognize rec- recognize we can get them down. All right. So when I come back, do I get to do a ride along with you? Sure, anytime. 
That do you do that for the, for the public more than you do? Yeah, anytime. Yeah. The public can call us up and uh, we'll we'll let, we'll hook them up with a fire a crew and then they can ride with us all day. See, that's the way to visit Irvine. Yeah, for sure. Go on a ride along. Yeah. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's clearance over. Over. Roger. Huh? Now let's get back to asking the locals some questions. And one of our locals has been here for 30 years. She's the author of Irvine Images of America, among other things. Ellen Bell, how are you, Ellen? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome to Irvine. I can I can call you a local, I think. You can officially. So, for people who have no idea about where Irvine is, what Irvine is, what brought you here, and what keeps you here? Well, Irvine is uh, kind of a master-planned experiment, so to speak, and it's a place that uh, you come to. I came here basically when I was ready to start settling, putting down roots, and it's a wonderful place to raise a family and live. It's a it's, as we said, a planned community, so uh, everything was designed to be basically the perfect place to live. And it's a hub for you, isn't it? It, it is. It's a wonderful spot in Orange County because it's, it's centrally located in the county. It's a very convenient place to live. It's right between the two major freeways. It's right by our airport in the right backyard. And really, you know, Orange County is— I mean, you're about, what, you're about an hour from San Diego and about an hour from L.A.? Ex yeah. Ex more you know, or less. More yeah. or less, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's kind of an Irvine itself. Uh, Orange County is a place with a lot of different experiences and things to do, and Irvine's right smack dab in the middle of it. Okay. Well, you mentioned different experiences. Give me one that might surprise somebody. Well, you know, everybody thinks of Orange County and they think of beaches, you know, when they come here to visit and they want to go immediately to the beach and, and we do. And, and they do. And we, it's, and I, you should, it's, we have amazing beaches here, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, uh, some of the most incredible places, but, but people know about those places. What they may not know are what you mentioned before, the Irvine Ranch Conservancy. We have the foothills of Irvine and the northern part of what was the Irvine Ranch is just an amazing place to explore. Um, and it's all docented trails. It's all places you can go out and explore. And within, you know, five, ten minutes of, of your front door, you can be out in the middle of some pretty cool wilderness. And that's really an amazing thing to be able to do in a town of almost a quarter of a million people. And you write about that. I do. I do. Um, I, I write. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big cheerleader for this place, <laughs> but I, I do. I write for um, the Ch Destination Irvine. I like to get encourage people to come here. And, and I've done a lot of research about local history because, um, well, that surprises people, frankly. Um, people don't expect a place that's only been here as a city since 1971. They don't and expect isn't it, it interesting to have when history. it started? I was here in 71. I, oh. I was working for Newsweek. They had a lottery here. Yes. Explain well, that. Well, that was when when, Irv, uh, when Woodbridge was opened, and uh, that's one of the villages that's here in Irvine. And Woodbridge was opening. Actually, they are celebrating their their 40th anniversary this year. And uh, yeah, it was like 1976. The country's coming out of you know the the recession. People are buying homes, and Irvine, the Irvine Company, opens this brand new village, which was kind of the the ultimate of the plant community. Uh, Woodbridge was designed to be a recreational village. It had, the idea was you couldn't walk more than five minutes without going to a park or a pool. 
And uh, so nice. when they set it up in... in See, I, d I live my life. I don't want to walk any more than five minutes between a refrigerator or a television. <laughs> is that wrong? It, no, no, okay. no. You'd okay. love it here. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so what happened is that the Irvine Company decided to open it up as an open house. And they actually um, had tram rides taking people through Woodbridge, very much like going to Disneyland. And they would take you through and you'd see the homes. But then you'd also go by the parks and the pools. And what was curious is at the time, there were no people living here then obviously it's a brand new community so they hired students it was the stepford wives well a little bit they hired students from <laughs> saddleback uh, community <laughs> college to come in and be on the lake and be in the pools and be in the parks and they had as i said the stepford <laughs> wives <Yes. laughs> it was a little staged in the beginning but it no. was beautiful and um yeah they had a lottery there were so many people that wanted to come uh, and but you know what's interesting though you mentioned that staging area the demographics have changed yes i mean Back in the 70s, right, mm -hmm. it was all white. It yes. was whiter than white, right? That would be true. You could say that about a lot of Orange County, but yeah. certainly that would be the case in Irvine, yeah. But now, I mean, it's much more international, much more ethnic. It's It's, it's got... It, well, globalization is working. Absolutely. And, and Irvine ha is very proud of its diverse um, culture. And we have a global village celebration here every September where they celebrate that. And you really have had this influx of different cultural traditions coming in in the last uh, 20, 30 years, certainly. And um, that's really uh, changed the, the landscape, I think, of, of the community Um for the better. I mean, we have, frankly, we have some of the best food <laughs> you could find anywhere in Orange County because, uh, you know, it used to be people think it was just all one thing in Irvine. But, but now we have so many different authentic cultural uh, foods that you can find here. It's, it's really wonderful. Okay, you've been here 30 years. Mm -hmm. When somebody visits <coughs> you from out of the state, yes. what are they expecting that they're not going to see? And what are they expecting to see that they won't? Um, well, people usually, hmm. Or what's the biggest, <laughs> what's the biggest surprise for them? Well, I think the biggest surprise is to find that there's history here. Um, you know, people tend to come in and think it's all one thing and they think it all kind of appeared on the landscape magically, you know, around 1975. And well, you're and, very young. I mean, and you it, it is, yeah. it is. But the, the area itself is really has a wonderful history. And, you know, we have history going back here you know, centuries, and this was all, the rancheros and the, the Spanish dons were here, and the missions, and so I love to take people to parts of the county, and, and in Irvine even, we have our old town Irvine, which is the old shipping and packaging part of, of when this was a ranch. But, but I have to tell you, I laugh, I, I tell the story all the time, <laughs> I go to Orlando, and they say, oh, we want to take you to Old Town, I said, Old Town in Orlando, oh yeah, it dates back to 1955, oh, come on, stop. Well, our Old Town goes back longer than that. <laughs> It's more turn of the century. You okay, know, good. Had, I feel yeah, better. Yeah, it was, you know, we can call it Turn vintage. of the last century, yes, not this century. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, it was our, the old shipping department, and Irvine was a large-scale ranch, over 100,000 acres. and uh, Not to mention the grain silos. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, which are now now hotel you can stay in, which is one of the most unique hotels I think you'd find anywhere here in Irvine. We have, um, fortunately, the Historical Society intervened, and a lot of those buildings, which were going to go away when they were developing, were saved. And so now we have a preserved heritage spot uh, in Irvine where people can go and see some of those buildings. And I don't know, just to see that this was a, a very different place at one time, and actually not too long ago. Now, you, d you know, your blog is OC Day Tripper, mm -hmm. so if you were going to take me on the most unusual day trip, 
use, based in Irvine, but using it as a hub, where would we go? Oh, gosh. Well, we'd probably have to go um, to the northern part. We'd have to go to the Katie Wheeler Library in the Irvine Ranch Historical Park. And this is a really cool place because it's, it's a public library. Uh, it was built in 2007, but it's built from the replica of the original Irvine family home. And so when you go there and you're kind of in, it's, it's like a little island of history in the middle of the development up there in northern Irvine. And I'd take you there because I'd want you to see the pictures of the family that lived here. I'd want you to see the barns and the carriage houses and the old bunkhouse and the mess hall. All of those buildings have been preserved. And I just, I love to get people excited about the fact that things were once very different here and that. I don't know, it gives them kind of a grounding, especially people that come here and, and live here and don't even know it's there. I, I love surprising locals with stuff like that. Well, that's the beauty of California because people who even live here don't know. Exactly, exactly. Right? So, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of fun places to explore in Irvine. It's way more than just one thing, and uh, people ought to come out and give us a try. Come see me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I've, I've said this throughout the show, but I'll, I'll continue to say it. You know, never underestimate the geographical ignorance of the American public. Um, they don't even know where Indiana is, how they're going to find Irvine, um, and that's where we are. Uh, people in Southern California sometimes have difficulty finding Irvine, and yet it's been here for quite some time, and my next guest has been here for about 20 years, but he sees Irvine the two-wheeled way. He's a biker. Bob Bybee, how are you? I'm great, Peter. Thank you for having me. I mean, you just heard my introduction to your segment. I mean, the, one of the best ways to see anyway, I mean, anywhere in the world is on a bicycle. That's correct. And we're so lucky here in Irvine because we have a massive infrastructure of bike trails and bike lanes. Which was, which was intentional. And it didn't just happen. Somebody's had a plan. That's right. It was a, it was a master plan. It's, it's been planned from the beginning. Irvine was incorporated back in 1971. And we have over 60 miles of paved off-street bike trails that weave through the city. And it goes through the city. So you have a chance to stop and have a donut. That's right. Yep. Now, let's talk about the kind of biking. Because... You know, I've done the Haleakala Trail from Hawaii where, you know, it's, it's 38 miles downhill, no braking, just braking, no pedaling, right? That's right. A and people can be, you know, a little complacent, and that's where get, they get in trouble. We're not just talking about no, nothing but braking here. You've got to put some effort into it. Um, well, you do. I mean, Irvine is relatively flat with the exception of a couple areas like Turtle Rock and Shady Canyon, which are stunning, by the way. Um, but it is relatively flat. So what's the most, I mean... Well, the endurance part of it, I guess, suppose. What's, what's the most, you know, the, the, the toughest part? Um, the toughest part, I guess, would just be if, um, for, for climbing, you know, the, if you're going to climb up into Shady. However, we have a way around that with our company. We, we have the Pedigo electric bikes that makes it much oh, easier. Oh, you cheat. <laughs> I do hear that, but um, it's funny because I equate yeah, the, it. But the very people who say you cheat thank you later on. <laughs> they do, yeah. every time. What's the, I mean, when you say 60 miles of trails, you can, how many days are we talking about if you really wanted to do all of Irvine? Uh, obviously, it depends on how much you want to dig in. I mean, yeah. one of the things that we offer are a couple of different 20-mile uh, tours. And, you know, those are, depending on the speed or the pace that you're going at, could, you know, be about two hours uh, with, with stopping and looking at some stuff. 
But they're not all electric bikes. You have some mountain bikes, too. Oh, yeah. We have mountain bikes also. But the electric bikes, sort of think of it in, 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 this, in this term. It, it's like those moving walkways in the airport, right? You could stand there and you can go, or you keep walking and you're surprised at how fast you're getting around. Right. Or the walkways aren't working, <laughs> which is at most airports, by the way. That's <laughs> true. Hey, tell me something about, I mean, I am beginning to like the fat bikes. We're talking about the, the beach tire bikes. Yeah, the fat tire bikes have been pretty popular. We've got a couple. Um, we've got a couple different types of those. Um, those are also really fun to, you know, not only ride in the sand down at the beach, but also up in the snow. So if you want to take those up uh, to Mammoth, which we have done and ridden in the snow, it's a, it's a ton of fun. Of course, you also fall down. Occasionally, yes. In I the snow. <laughs> I try not to. I mean, the thing about the fat tire bikes, if you're going to go on the, along the beach, you know, there's the hard sand, but even the hard sand is not going to keep you up all the time. Right. And same thing in the snow. That's true. Yeah. So you make me sign the waiver, don't you? <laughs> you too. <laughs> yeah, me too. There's a waiver. There's always the waiver. When yeah. you fall down, we're not responsible. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Who's the oldest person who's been on one of your bikes? Um, I believe the oldest is 82. Um, my pal Al is what he refers to himself as. Um, he, he came in and he bought himself for his 82nd birthday uh, one of our city commuter bikes, and this guy's fantastic. He's a lifetime bike rider. He was just getting a little tired of, of, of pedaling up Turtle Rock. Uh, came in and bought one of, one of our bikes, and he absolutely loves it. 16 gears? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the biggest surprise when people to the bike trails? Um, there's a few. One of them, everyone is basically blown away at, at how many trails we have and how beautiful they are and how different Irvine looks when you're on the trails. Um, and we get that all the time. I had a group, uh, a media group from Japan uh, that we took out on a ride. I'm sorry, from China um, that we took out for a ride on Sunday. And the, the feedback from, from them was fantastic. Even the people that, even the one person that chaperoned them who's lived here her entire life was just shocked at how beautiful and how long the trails are. Do you give bike le- you give bike lessons? Uh, yeah, we do. Sure, you got to learn how to ride first. <laughs> well, it's just like riding a bike. <laughs> I've used that line before. Bob Bobby from, from Irvine here. Hey, I'll go ride with you sometime. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight Three Seven Two on SWA. The flight attendant's on board, serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. Do you want to know if globalization works? Come to Irvine, and that's where you're going to find Andre Restaurant. And that's where you'll find Chef Yves Fournier, who, uh, it's not just a restaurant. We're talking baking, aren't we? We're talking about real food. <laughs> okay, you give me your definition of real food. Real food is, I mean, uh, take a produce and don't make any process on the food. Take what is this and give a freshness to the plate. So, you know, we all talk about farm to table, right? Yes, correct. We found, is what we did at Andres um, when we created the restaurant. Farm to table, the movement started a long time ago. You take Alice Waller in San Francisco, you take all this movement, and uh, it's what we did at Andres with the city of Irvine, bring the farm to Andres. Okay, and then the farm to Andres, then to me, of course. And to you. Of course. All right, so I've got to ask the question, because this is where I cheat all the time. You know, there are croissants, and then there are croissants. So here's the question I have for you. How much butter is in your croissant? 
Mm, when lot. I eat a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot butter because Macron French we love butter. But you know what I say? You know where the best butter comes from? Brittany. Depend because I was in Brittany, I was in Normandy, so close. Depend. close. I love Normandy butter. Okay, Maybe more. But do you get the Normandy butter here in Irvine? Uh, no, no. When I go to France, yes. of course, of course, of course. <laughs> But we're, so, we're talking serious butter here. We're talking about real butter. When I come to your restaurant, what's the one surprise dish that you have that I'm not expecting? Um, I have a few. Okay, give me one. Octopus. Okay. I like the way you said it, too. Octopus. It's a French. You see, a French way. No, octopus is a great dish. Portobello fry. You see a lot of places do portobello, like on the burger or things like this. We fry this portobello. Fantastic. And how do you do the octopus? Octopus are braised. Uh, are they a little blackened? A little blackened no, blackened. We go cook with no courbouillon, like for about in the oven, for about two hours, slowly. Take all the flavor. Then we go slice this tentacle, marinade, saute, mix with some potato, chorizo, and bell pepper. So, because we do a lot of Mediterranean flavor also, attendrice. So, we bring French, Mediterranean, and local together. You know, I, I, one thing I noticed in, in, in the research leading up to talking today is all of my business cards have Braille on them. I have Braille on my business cards. Mm -hmm. You also have an affinity to working with people who are sight impaired. We have. And Andres is a great uh, supporting to uh, Braille people. And um, we do a lot. Of Why did you make that choice? Why? What I make the choice, I think we make the choice together when we did this at the beginning at the restaurant. But I mean, why make the? What was your affinity to, to donate money to the people who were blind? The beginning was when we created Andres together with Natalia, the owner. It was on memory on her brother, and the brother started to have a disease about eyes disease, and a few years ago after he passed away, not for this, but for different. And on the memory for the, her brother, she said, "Let's put all the effort, all the." They do make this restaurant non-profit and give a big part to the people who are blindness. It's I think it's fantastic. I've been so many events to see the effort, and what we can do is, is great. I love so it. a lot, um, you can see on the Andres Foundation, um, on the website, you can see how much uh, uh, Andres restaurants are part, are involved about the... Does the foundation have a website? Yes. What is that? Andres, uh, A N D R E I. Right, AndresFoundation.com. Okay, and by the way, I mentioned that my business cards have braille on them. I've never said this on the air my entire show, but I've said it now because of this affinity with what you're doing. If anybody wants to put braille on their business cards, email me to Peter at PeterGreenberg.com, and I'll tell you how easy it is to do. Because once you do that, anytime you give your business card out, it starts a conversation. And you can tell people what they don't really think about until you bring it to their attention that 19% of the American public has some form of a disability of which sight impairment is a big part. It's true. Totally true. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I got to ask you in the last couple of seconds yes. we got, and I do this with every chef, with yes. everybody, what's the one dish you had on your menu that you thought everybody was going to love and it tanked? And what was the one dish that you thought, nobody's going to order this, and everybody loved it? 
a few years ago, we started um, on the keep going the movement on the farm to table, the grass fed. You know, grass fed. Grass fed beef. Yes, because it's part of what we do, like sustainable seafood at Andres farm to table. We try to do grass fed. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.